So uh, today we're going to talk about Pentecost, um, as you might have as you might have discerned as we went along the way. So um, so the we're going to talk about what Pentecost is, why we celebrate it, and what it means for us today. What is what is the point of celebrating uh, Pentecost today? Actually, I've got a I've got a teaching aid. I was about to say prop. So uh, we'll get to that. All right. So, um, so what is Pentecost? First of all, what is Pentecost? Pentecost is the, the Greek way of saying a Hebrew word, which is Shavuot. So Shavuot is, is literally weeks. It means, um, uh, it refers to the fact that, that there was this harvest festival that took place seven weeks after the, the festival of, um, uh, Passover. So, uh, it was a harvest festival because in, in that, uh, place in, in the Holy Land, you can get two harvests in, in the year. And so the first harvest was this one that took place seven weeks after uh, the Passover. So seven weeks, uh, seven times seven is 49. And somewhere along the way, they added a, a, a extra day. And so that leads us to Pentecost or 50. So um, that's, that's what the word actually means. Um, and it refers to this event that took place in the life of the early church. Uh, where they, the people who were gathered in Jerusalem, saw what seemed to be individual flames of fire alighting on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them to speak. And then the, the uh, Apostle Peter explains what's going on to this crowd that assembles as they do this. He says, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young will see visions. Your elders will dream dreams. Even upon my servants, men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. So that's the the thing that happened at Pentecost that uh, we remember as part of our celebration. But but um, if you've been in church for very long, you probably have heard the, the, the idea of Pentecost as the birthday of the church. That the, the church, uh, people will say, um, has its birthday. So this is a birthday celebration. Some churches actually have cakes and balloons and things like that. Uh, we, we don't have any of those today, but you can picture them in your mind because the idea is that Pentecost is the celebration of the birthday of the church. So, so, uh, why, why do we do that? The reason we do that is because the church is important. I think it's a very easy thing for Christians to, to collapse our, our faith into there's me and there's Jesus. And that's pretty much everything that, that matters. And it's easy for us to forget there's this thing in between, which is the church. Um, and so Pentecost is an opportunity for us to remember and celebrate the thing that is that we are part of. The thing, uh, it's not between us. We are a part of the church. And so it's a way of celebrating the church. The church is really important, and it's easy for us to lose sight of this. Um, in the mid-200s, there was a, um, a leader in the church uh, and later on a martyr uh, in the church named Cyprian. And he said, outside the church, there is no salvation. So a pretty strong statement. And um, he also said, no one can have God for their father who does not have the church for their mother. So Cyprian was very, very bullish on the church. He thought the church was very important. And subsequently, um, all different Christian traditions, including our own, would affirm this. And we would have, we would quibble with other traditions over what he means when he says church there. We would say he's basically right, that, that the church is the place where salvation occurs. And so 
Our definition would be something like this. The church is the community of all true believers for all time. So everybody who truly believes in God, um, down through history, including people before the time of Christ. So, so we would say it includes, it includes, um, the, the, the people of Israel, uh, in the time of, uh, the prior to Christ, and it includes the church today. So we would say it, it includes them. But, but we would also say, um, that, that we don't know who is in the church. That in the same way, the, the people of Israel did not see themselves as, as uh, Christians. We would say there are other people in the world who may not see themselves as Christians, but God sees. Um, in, in one of his letters, uh, Paul says to Timothy that God knows who is, um, who, who are his own. And so we make a distinction about the, the, the church as God sees it and the church as we see it. So we see just the visible aspects of the church. God sees the church, um, down through time and, and across, uh, uh, different lands. He sees the entire church. So we make a distinction between the visible church and the invisible church. We also make a distinction between the fact that there are people who attend church and as Jesus said, uh, they will say to me on the, on the last day, they will say, Lord, Lord, and I will say, I never knew you. So even though they are, they are visibly part of the church, they appear to be part of the church, they are not actually part of the church. So, so we make a distinction that, that it's not, it's not in our capability. We do not have the ability to distinguish who God means when he refers to the church. But yes, subject to that, yes, outside the church there is no, no salvation. But it's not for us to, to, to delineate who is and outside, who is and, and who is not in the church. So, so we make this distinction and, um, but basically we, we believe in the idea of the church. So, so, um, why do we, why do we, um, so, oh, I, I suppose I'm getting ahead of myself. So, so why do we say that it's, it's the birthday of the church? If the church has existed down through time, uh, all believers for all time, why do we say Pentecost is the birthday of the church? Well, there's a couple of different answers. One of them is to say that that um, uh, uh, to say that that this is the the occasion at which the church became visible. Prior to that, people in Israel wouldn't have seen themselves as Christians. So now it becomes a visible church, visibly uh, worshiping Jesus. So so that would be one argument. I think I think um, uh, that's just kind of too technical and too theological for me to really enjoy. So I like this one. This is kind of a um, uh, your birthday is not your birthday. So when you have your first birthday, that's not your, the date of your birth. Your birthday was a year earlier. So, so the idea is the birthday is a celebration of something that has happened previously. So, so that's, that's why it's called the birthday of the church and it's why is the church, um, uh, why do we celebrate the church? The reason is because the church is important. But, uh, the church also doesn't get a lot of love. That's my, that's my, my teaching aid here. The church does not get a lot of love. This book is called, um, They Like Jesus But Not the Church. And, uh, it's, uh, by a pastor in California. And he describes the way a lot of people would say, I like Jesus, but it's the church I can't stand. Or, as somebody put it, it's like, I, I, I like Jesus, but his wife is really ugly. And, and, um, and so, so the church doesn't get a lot of love sometimes. Um, and, uh, uh, the, um, uh, what, coming up, what, 80, 80 odd years ago, during World War II, 
the English writer C.S. Lewis wrote a series of letters that were serialized in a newspaper, and uh, they were they were imagining a correspondence between between a, a pair of demons who are trying to decide how can we how can we um, uh, tempt this man away from his faith. And it's called the Screw Tape Letters. And he said, one of the one, the demon writes a letter, and he says, uh, "You really want to lean into the church because the church is a great way to take people away from their faith." Because he says, um, when he this this uh, this person they're trying to tempt, when he gets to his pew and looks around him, he sees just those people in the neighborhood that he's tried to avoid. <laughs> that he sees the, the selection of his neighbors whom he's hitherto avoided. And he says, and the beauty of it is, you. You, the, the demon, you may know that one of them is a great warrior on the enemy's side, so God's side, that he may be a great warrior. But your patient, your, your, the person you're afflicting, he has no idea. He's just looking at them with, you know, regular eyes, and he doesn't realize that person's a great saint. And, uh, so later on he says, he says that, you know, so basically, we don't know who, who the, who the great saints are among us, right? We come in and we say, you know, that person's kind of irritating, they're noisy, you know, They've got shoes that squeak or whatever it is. So, so he says that that's, that's one of our problems. Later on, he says, uh, the, the, this, um, this demon says, why didn't you tell me that he's been going to the same church all this time? He says, surely you know that if a man can't be cured of church going, the next best thing is to send him all over the neighborhood looking for the church that suits him until he becomes a taster or a connoisseur of churches. He says, the church, the search for a suitable church makes the man a critic where the enemy wants him to be a pupil. So the church doesn't get a lot of love. We, we, we can see the things that, that, that we don't like about the church, right? You know, we like Jesus, but not the church. And, and the, the, the point that C.S. Lewis is making is that, that everybody has those experiences. He wrote this book because everybody can say, yeah, I look down on the people in my church. And honestly, I don't know which ones of them are great saints. Uh, it's just not in my capability to, to know that. So, so, um, that's the point that, that the, the, that book makes and the point really that this other book makes is that we don't understand what the church is. And the, the New Testament teaches us the church is really something very special. Um, the, in, in the book of Revelation, it's called the Bride of Christ. The church is the Bride of Christ. The, the wedding day of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. She was given pure, fine, pure white linen to wear for the fine linen is the saints' acts of justice. So what the church does, the work of the church in this world is seen as, as a, as a bridal gown for the church. In, in, uh, John's Gospel, Jesus says, I'm the vine and you, the church, are the branches of the vine. If you remain in me and I in you, you will produce much fruit. Uh, Peter, in his first letter, he goes way over the top. He says, he says the church is a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who are God's own possession. He can't come up with words big enough to describe how good the church is. And he says, we as members of the church are being built into a spiritual temple, a place where God, uh, God, God's home is in the spiritual temple that is the church. So the language of the New Testament is, is the very opposite of this. They, they like Jesus and they like his church. So, so, um, so we celebrate the church because because it is it is worth celebrating and it's worth reminding us when when we're tempted to say I don't like the church it's worth remembering the church is worth celebrating so so that's the reason we have Pentecost but there's another reason a more primal reason and it's the reason I mentioned to the children 
Um, when my son was five years old, he was invited to a to a birthday party at one of his little friend's um, house, uh, uh, not houses, uh, his friend. And we went to Lee Martinez Park in Fort Collins, which is this kind of working park where you can go see the ducks and the, you know, all the animals and so forth and the old farm equipment. A ride on a tractor. So anyway, they did this. They they went for a horseback ride. All these little you know toddler type kids. So they did this. Um, but somewhere along the way, the, the the scheduling of the day got off, and the the people who worked at the the farm were trying to speed us along, and so they kind of rushed us through the cake and the ice cream and singing happy birthday. Um, and so they're kind of trying. You know, parents are starting to pick up their stuff, and these little kids can see that the birthday party is nearly over. And my son uh, sticks up his hand and he says, excuse me, I believe it's customary that when there's a birthday party for the people who come to get like a, a bag of treats or presents. And so, and he had fancier words. All the parents laughed at him because he had these big words. But all the other kids knew exactly what he was talking about. They start, yeah, where's our loot? You know, it's like, Chris isn't the only, you know, little Chris here who, whose birthday it was. He shouldn't be the only one who walks away from this thing with a present, right? We want something more than just cake and ice cream. And so we understand that at a birthday party, you get presents. That whether it's your birthday or whether you're just a visitor, um, you know, who's come there, you should get a little bag of gifts. And that's what Paul says we get at Pentecost. And so the best part about a birthday party is we get Gifts, And so that's what Paul is talking about here in his letter. And so we're going to go through uh, what he says about gifts, uh, spiritual gifts. So he says, he says, there are different spiritual gifts, but the same spirit. And there are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God who produces all of them in everyone. So it's worth lingering there. So all of them in everyone, that all of the spiritual gifts... Um, the ones the ones we like and the ones we don't like, they all come from God, and God produces these gifts in everyone. That none of us are exempt. I can't look at you and say, "Well, yeah, not Caroline. She obviously has no gift." Right? It, this is this is a, a statement um, that that Paul makes um, very confidently that everybody has a different area of spiritual giftedness, and um, he he uh, spends some time talking through um, what they are. Uh, what, what does he mean by gift? Well, it's it's something that that you just have, and uh, not so, it just comes naturally to you. So we talk about things like charisma. This person is very charismatic. Some of us have to work at it. You know, for people to like us, we have to really you know kind of do something, whatever that thing. Is. Someday I'll find out um, what it is that makes people like you. Right? Some people just have it. They were born with. It. They were charming. Right? Um, other people are graceful. Right, and you know, it doesn't mean that nobody else can can you know dance or or you know be an athletic you know uh, accomplished athlete, but it just means it's more work. So some people have have that natural talent. Paul says the same thing is true of spiritual gifts that they are just things we we get. And he he gives this he gives us a lengthy list. There's ten different things. I'm not going to go through them all, but he says he talks about um, uh, a word of um, wisdom, a word of knowledge. Um, he talks about prophecy, and it's sometimes difficult. I mean, it, I would say it's it's always difficult for us to understand exactly what is Paul making. You know, what is the what is the distinction Paul means between wisdom and knowledge? And you know, we can go look at a Greek dictionary and find out what what scholars tell us the difference is. But it's not obvious that Paul was 
was consulting a Greek dictionary. So he may have had a different understanding. And he may be saying, well, I'm really thinking of, you know, Susan, who has this particular gift, and I would classify that as a, as a gift of knowledge or something like that. We don't know what Paul had in mind. And besides, later on in this chapter, he gives a different list. And then in Romans 12, he gives a third list. And in Ephesians 4, he gives still another list. So, so I don't think that this is meant to be an exhaustive list. And so if you say, well, I don't have any of those, that, that may be, um, you may not be the best judge. You might ask other people. But also, there may be a different gift. I don't think this is meant to be an exhaustive list. So he gives this list, all these different gifts, faith, healing, um, uh, prophecy, and famously uh, speaking tongues and so forth. So he gives these lists, but then he says, why? He says, why do we receive these gifts? And he says, they're produced by the one and same spirit who gives what he wants to each person, it really is like a gift, right? You know, I give I give somebody a birthday present. It's because I've thought it over and decided this is what they will actually like. This is the gift that they will they will benefit from. They will appreciate it, and maybe they will even appreciate me for having you know the insight. Oh, this person really knows what I what I like. So so he says these are all gifts, conscious intentional gifts of the Holy Spirit, and he says there's a reason for it. Back in uh, verse seven, he said. Uh, these manifestations, these demonstrations of the Holy Spirit are given to each person for the common good. The purpose of the gifts is not to please ourselves or not so we can strut around and say, look, I've got the gift of prophecy. They are to build up the church, the body of Christ. And so the, he he transitions now to talk about the body of Christ. He says, Christ is just like the human body. <clears throat> a body is a unit and has many parts, and the parts of the body are one body even though they are many. So bodies have, you know, my right hand is different from my left hand. They look alike, but they're they're different. My my nose is different from my foot. They don't even look alike, but they're all part of the one body. So he uses this example and he says, uh, by virtue of our baptism, we are all baptized into the one body. And uh, it doesn't matter what our what who we are really it doesn't matter what our what our um, uh, ethnicity is whether we're Jew or Greek it doesn't matter what our socioeconomic status is whether we're slave or free these things aren't um, they they don't uh, make us a more you know uh, uh, we aren't better members of the body we aren't worse members of the body bodies aren't like that you you need both feet um, you know it's 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 a it's it's a disability when you don't have both feet. So he says it doesn't matter where where you come from, what your background is, what your ethnicity is. That these things are important to make up the body of Christ. And he says he says that we're all given one spirit to drink. What the picture he's painting here is one of diversity and unity. And this is something the church uh, proclaims, but the world doesn't usually offer. The world usually says you can have. One or the other. You can have you can have diversity, but oftentimes diversity comes with division. You can have unity, but oftentimes unity comes with uniformity. And Paul's saying, no, you would not be effective as a member of the body of Christ if you if you had diversity without unity or unity without your own diversity. So Paul's saying this is what God has has um has done that that in order that the body of Christ would be complete in order that that the body of Christ would include you you have to have both 
the unity and the diversity. So he's telling people, you may not understand why that person acts like a foot instead of like a hand. And the answer is because that's that's what the the, the place they they serve in the body of Christ. And that you know that if they are part of the body, it doesn't really matter how diverse they are from other members of the body. So that's that's the picture he's got here. And the reason for that <coughs> the reason the reason for that is because the church is important. The church is important because it's the place people encounter Jesus. And and that's that's true of most people. Most people do encounter Jesus through the church. Um, sometimes, you know, they they have a they encounter a, a burning bush, right? Some people have those burning bush experiences. They have the the road to Damascus experience. Sometimes it's been, it's called the the mountaintop experience. That they have this this individualized uh, personal experience of God in in some unique way, and that that happens, right? It happened to Paul. But Paul knows that's not the normal the normal course of events. Most of us encounter Jesus in the church. We encounter Jesus through the, the proclamation of his word, through the celebration of the sacraments that he gave us, and through the community of the, the Holy Spirit, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that is the body of Christ. This is the place where most people encounter Jesus. And so he's saying, <coughs> he's saying, this is this is the the purpose of the church, so that people can actually encounter Jesus, um, who has ascended to to heaven, but is present in His church. So that's the reason that that um, the church is important because it's the place where most people encounter Jesus. And um, when I was, uh, gosh, it's been thirty years now. So I, I was I was in a church and I heard a sermon and I went up to the pastor afterwards and I said I said that was a great sermon, but I don't believe in. God and he said maybe you could believe in in God if you saw what God was doing and a great place to see God at work is through his church. So it was great advice. He said he said participate in the church and you will actually see God at work and it's true I did. So this is the place most of us encounter Jesus. I never had the burning bush experience. I've had a couple of experiences in my life where my my hair stood up on end but only a couple. Mostly, I encountered Jesus through the church. So, that's the place that that um, Paul is speaking to. He says we're given the gifts of of God for or the holy the the gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, so we can build up the body of Christ. And the reason for that is that's where people are going to encounter Jesus. And so, for for those of us who don't, for those of us who have matured, we become very very spiritual people. We encounter Jesus. You know, in our private lives, in our devotions, in our prayer time, in our in our Bible reading, we encounter Jesus there. I think what Paul is asking us to do is to say, "Yeah, okay, that's great, but are you building up the body of Christ?" See, he's saying you may have you may have a particular gifting, you may have great faith, you may be able to pray um, in your private in your private life, and and those things take place because you have great faith. But he's, he's saying, why don't you lean into that gift? Why don't you lean into that gift and put it to work in the service of the whole body of Christ? Because what you're experiencing of Jesus now in that private experience may be, may be greatly um, increased when you become part of the, when you, when you use that gift in the service of the body of Christ. As part of the body of Christ, he's saying, lean into that gift. 
So he says, whether, whether you're, you're first, you know, wondering about Christianity and you have never had anything that you would think of as an encounter with Jesus, the place you're probably going to find that is not up on a mountain, but in his church. The easiest place to find it. I mean, go ahead, look on the mountain, look for the burning bush, but, but it's easier to find in a church. And it's a whole lot easier when the church is leaning into their gifts so that the church is built up. The, the reality is, if people like Jesus and not the church, it's because we have been given the gifts that we have and we're not leaning into them. We're not making the church, um, uh, represent Jesus the way we are gifted to do so. So at Pentecost, we remember the church is important. The church is important, um, Outside the church, there is no salvation. Whatever that means, whatever whatever group of people is meant by the church in that sentence. But it's more important to think of the church as a mother. Most of us encounter the church, or encounter Jesus through the church. This is the place where we're raised up. It's the place where we develop, where we mature. And so, for those of you in the church... I invite you, I encourage you to use your gifts, lean into your spiritual giftedness to build up the body of Christ so that others will encounter Jesus more clearly in his church. Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, we... uh, We can all think of things the church has done, ways it has hurt us or people we care about. Um, We know the church does not represent you the way it ought to. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to be aware of our gifts. Help us to lean into them so that people, as they encounter your church, would truly encounter Jesus. We ask this in his name and for his sake. Amen.